0: Chapter Thirteen, Sincere Faith. Mark five twenty-one to forty-three, verses twenty-one to twenty-two. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet. Jairus paid our Lord respect and deference as was his due. See here an instructive sight, the law at the feet of the gospel. This is the place for the law. The best work the law can do is to bring us to the feet of Jesus. The official had an earnest request to make, and therefore he put himself into a lowly, pleading position. We too shall succeed in prayer when we plead with all humility, bowing in the dust before the Lord. Verses 23-24 to and implored him earnestly saying my little daughter is at the point of death please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live and he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him we are told elsewhere that this was his only daughter and that she was 12 years of age all the father's heart was set upon her his life was wrapped up in the child's life she was now in extremis She will die unless the great teacher comes and raises her up to health again. There was faith in this official, and therefore we read, And he went off with him. Faith ensures the aid of Jesus without delay, and if you and I can trust him, he will go with us. Friend, can you rely on Jesus? Then shall it be written of you also, And he went off with him. Verse 25 A woman who had had a hemorrhage for twelve years. In this passage of our Lord's life, he blesses two women, the daughter sick unto death, and the woman sorely diseased. A large portion of the cures that Jesus worked were upon men, but those worked upon women are nearly all especially noteworthy. Surely, of miracles of a spiritual kind, the women have a double share. This poor woman had been a sufferer for twelve years, that is to say, just as long as the daughter had lived. How many only live to suffer, their existence being little better than a prolonged wasting away? Verses 26-27 to 27, And had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him, and touched his cloak. After hearing about Jesus. Faith comes from hearing. Whatever you do not hear, take care that you hear much of Jesus. Some preach the church. It would be better by far if they preached the church's head. Some preach up a creed. It would be wiser to proclaim him who is the essence of the creed. Attend those places where most is said of Christ, for it is by hearing of him that you will be blessed as this poor woman was. That which she heard brought her to Jesus, and coming to Jesus is the great thing to be desired. When she had heard of Jesus, she determined to obtain for herself the healing which he was able to bestow. Have you no such resolve? Verse 28. For she thought, If I just touch his garments, I will get well. Not if I may just touch his garments, as if she meant to lay stress on the mere touch, The woman believed that everywhere Jesus was full of healing energy, even to his garments, and therefore she felt, If I just touch his clothes, I shall thus come into contact with him, and I shall be whole. Nor did she rest content with theory. She carried it out into act. She pressed through the crowd and touched the fringe of his cloak, as Luke informs us. Oh, that all good intentions were as promptly turned into actions! Verse 29 Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately. Mark is very fond of that word, immediately. And truly, the instantaneous action of our Lord at the call of faith is so remarkable that we do not wonder that the Gospel writer should record it. Are there not sick souls here who would gladly obtain an immediate salvation? a touch of Jesus will win it. Verses 30-31. to Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? Peter led the way in this remark, acting as the spokesman for the rest. Jesus is always right, even when to the eye of sense he appears to be wrong. We ought never to suspect him of making a mistake. Indeed, for us to question him would be great presumption. Verse 32. And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. He knew who it was, but evidently he looked for the woman he looked around, not to make a discovery of what was unknown, but to look on one whom he would gently bring out of her hiding place. Taking a long and steady gaze around the multitude, he at last singled her out. Verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Here is another instructive sight. Just as we saw the law at Christ's feet, here we have a needy sufferer at Christ's feet. What a picture! If the ruler of the synagogue had a right to be at Jesus's feet, much more did this poor healed one who owed everything to him. Oh, you who have been saved by Jesus, worship him, fall at his feet with reverence, sit there with attention, and abide there in obedience. Verses thirty-four to thirty-five, and he said to her, "Daughter, your faith has made you well." Go in peace, and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any more? The word for trouble is a very strong one, as if they judged it to be exacting on the ruler's part to take the Savior to his house. Surely it implies that there were such signs of weariness upon our Lord that friendly minds judged it to be troubling him, to induce him to struggle through the crowd to the house. Sometimes these sidelights reveal more of the condition of the man of sorrows than the narrative actually records. Ah, there is no fear of troubling Jesus now. It is his joy to visit where he is prayed to come. Verse 36 But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. This was as much as to say, That is all you can do, and all you need to do. Just trust me. Be not staggered if death itself be there. I am greater than death. Would our Lord have spoken thus if He had not been conscious of infinite power, conscious indeed of His deity? How say some among you that He is not the Son of God? Assuredly, He speaks the language of omnipotence. These are not the words of a mere man, hear them, and practice them. Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Verses 37-38 to 38. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly weeping and wailing. That is to say, they saw the hired mourners who came there to mimic sorrow. Everything false and hired must go out when Jesus enters to work his wonders. Verse 39, And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion, and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. She was not dead once and for all. He knew that she was dead for the time, but he spoke broadly, looking at the future, and in his sense she was not dead, since in a few moments she would be among them alive. Her brief death was in effect no death, but a mysterious sleep. Verse 40 They Began Laughing At Him How this sentence ought to encourage any who, in doing right, meet with condemning words and reproach. They began laughing at him. Will you ever think it hard that you should be ridiculed when the Lord, the Prince of Glory, is laughed at? No, my brethren. Say in your hearts, if on my face for thy dear name shame and reproaches be, all hail reproach and welcome shame, if thou remember me. Verse 40 But Putting Them All Out And here is another flash of deity. Did you ever notice how the Lord Jesus frequently does things which are perfectly unexplainable if performed by a mere man, As when he went into the temple and cleared out the buyers and sellers with a scourge of small cords, and when in Gethsemane he only said, I am he, and they fell backward. Here again he put out of the room all the minstrels and hired mourners. Does it not show that occasionally a majesty flashed from the human person of Christ which overwhelmed everybody and was perfectly irresistible? Yes, in his deepest humiliation. Our Lord had a glory about him which revealed the indwelling God. Verse 40 He took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Christ and death together in one room. This is a grand picture. Look at the pale, dead child and the life giving Lord. We know what the issue will be when our Lord enters the arena with the last enemy. Verse 41. Taking the child by the hand. That chill, motionless hand. See how the little girl lies before him, like a dew-laden lily, damp with the depression of death. Verse 41. He said to her, Talitha cum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. He spoke to her in her own dear mother tongue. How sweet to be recalled to life, by sounds which were so familiar. There is something simple about all the calls of heavenly love. Verses 42-43 to 43. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were completely astounded, and he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. He did not wish to have this miracle published. There were reasons why, just then, there should not be much noise made about his miracles. Besides, our blessed Saviour was ever gentle and modest, as it is written He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He didn't seek the honour of men. Let us do nothing with the view of its being blazoned abroad. Verse 43 And he said that something should be given her to eat. This command is natural enough, but how oddly that it follows a miracle? Could not he who gave her back to life have satisfied her appetite without food? Yes, but Jesus is ever careful with his miracles, and this is the mark of the true Christ. Look at Antichrist and see her lavish marvels at Lords and a thousand shrines, shovelfuls of them. Paul speaks of these signs and lying wonders as the trademark of the mystery of iniquity. But the Christ works no needless miracle. He pauses where the need of the supernatural ceases. He also teaches us this lesson, that when he gives spiritual life, it is our duty to furnish it with suitable nutrients of divine truth. We should teach and console those who are newly born into the household of faith. Especially is this the duty of parents and those who are our fathers in the church. Let us not fail to obey our Lord's precept, and may god thus bless the reading of his word to us immediately jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth turned around in the crowd and said who touched my garments and his disciples said to him you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say who touched me mark 5:30-31 we just now read the story of this woman who was immediately healed Spiritual persons know that the miracles recorded by the Gospel writer are true, because they have seen them reproduced. That is to say, we have not seen an issue of blood stopped by the touch of Christ's garments, but we have seen the spiritual counterpart of it. We have seen men and women healed of all kinds of spiritual and moral diseases by coming into contact with our Lord Jesus. They have touched Jesus and they have been made whole, for Jesus lives still. And his healing work is not ended, but has only entered into another phase. Jesus has said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, being with us, he is not here inactively or ineffectually, but he is here, the same yesterday, today, and forever, to work the same miracles, only not on men's bodies, but also on their souls. Jesus is present to heal leprosies of the mind and to open the eyes of the understanding. Yes, He is still among us to raise those who are dead in trespasses and sins. Though we live in a great hospital for lepers, yet are we comforted because we see that Jesus walks the hospitals, and still heals on the right hand and on the left all those who come in contact with Him. At the sight of His wonders of grace, we cry out as they did in the days of His flesh, He has done all things well. As the miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ are pictures of His wondrous works in the spiritual kingdom, so are they also instructive, because they set forth most vividly much impressive and precious truth. I have but one desire now, and that is to lead some poor sin-sick soul to Jesus, and I shall not be satisfied unless very many shall for the first time break through this crowd and press forward to touch the hem of Christ's robe And find immediate healing thereby. I shall speak upon three things. First, I will speak upon this wonderful person, who, if he is but touched, gives out a healing virtue. Secondly, I will speak upon that very remarkable touch, which is evidently a distinct thing from the touch and pressure of the eager, curious crowd. And then I will ask you to answer the singular personal question which the Saviour puts to this assembly who touched me? Perhaps some are here today who shall be able to say with trembling assurance, I touched him, and he has made me whole. May the Holy Spirit cause it to be so! First, then, I have the blessed work, far beyond my power, but, oh, how sweet to my soul, of speaking upon this wonderful person. The Lord Jesus Christ, as he stood in the midst of the crowd, was charged with power. An effective healing force was in him. Sometimes he emitted it by words, frequently by the touch of his hand, and in this case it seemed to stream even from his garments, when he was but rightly and properly touched. He was charged with omnipotent blessing, and those who came into contact with him were made whole. Do not think, dear friends, that he is less full of benedictions for the sons of men today. No, If I may venture to say as much, he is fuller still of healing power, for he has bowed his head to death and worn the thorn crown, and he has risen from the tomb and gone up into glory leading captivity captive. In our midst at this moment, he is, if it be possible, more charged with energy to bless than even when he walked the fields of Palestine, and healed the feeble men and women of his time. Observe that Christ's power to bless lay mainly in the fact of his deity. That humble, weary, wayworn man was the Son of the highest. Because he was still very God of very God, his will was omnipotent. He did but speak to fever or leprosy, and they left at his bidding. Even as the centurion put it, For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and he does it. Even so the divine Christ did but will it, and diseases fled at his bidding. He is not less divine today. At this hour he cries, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. But his power to bless us lies also in the fact that he had become man for our sake. I speak with lowly reverence, but it is written that the Christ would suffer. He found it needful to be surrounded by infirmities that He might save us from our infirmities. He was able to heal not only because He was God, but also because He was Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, the blessed mystery of the Incarnation! What a fountain of mercy it is to us miserable sinners! He that spanned the heavens stooped to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid in a manger. He that bears up the pillars of the universe was himself weary here below, and by his weakness gave us strength. Because he took our sicknesses, therefore is he able to deliver us from spiritual sickness and make us every bit whole. O see, my brethren, God incarnate present among us, able also to save forever, Those who draw near to God through him. In addition to this, it is never to be forgotten that our blessed Master, being both divine and human, was also endowed with the Holy Spirit without measure. Often are we told in Scripture that he was able to do these mighty signs and wonders because the Holy Spirit was with him. Even now, that same Holy Spirit is with him in abundance of power. Jesus, whom I preach to you, the man of Nazareth, the mighty God, has the residue of the Spirit, by whose power He can remove from us all the guilt and power of sin, and can make us perfectly whole, that is, holy. Is not this a thing to be delighted in, that there should be such a Savior, and such a Savior accessible today? Every sort of spiritual sickness the blessed physician of souls can heal. I am able to say that I have seen him heal such sicknesses. I think I have been witness to the cure of every sort of sin. At any rate, he is healing me of my own sicknesses, and I am under his tender care, persuaded that he will make even me perfectly whole before he is done with me. I have seen the proud man, who could not else have been cured of his haughtiness, come and sit at Jesus' feet and learn of him, until he has been made meek and lowly. I have seen the obstinate man come to Jesus and gladly take Christ's yoke upon him, and become willingly and joyfully obedient to the supreme will of him who bought him with his blood. Often have I seen the unclean and the profane enticed to Jesus by his gentleness, and they have been made pure. Now often have these eyes seen the despairing ones who have been on the verge of madness Cheered and comforted till they have sung for joy of heart. How frequently have I seen the coward made brave, the miserable made gentle, the revengeful made forgiving by coming into contact with Jesus. You cannot love my Lord and love sin. You cannot trust my Lord and yet delight yourselves in iniquity. Only get near to him, and he will begin a cure upon your character, and before long will perfect it. If your sickness should be a delight in the pleasures and the pursuits of the world, he will teach you not to love the world, nor the things of it. Do you suffer from selfishness? He shall teach you to deny yourself. His lance and nails and cross shall crucify you with himself till self-seeking shall die. Are you afflicted with a laziness that will not let you be active? My Master's zeal! shall fire your soul, till, like him, you shall be consumed with energy. I do not mind what your fault is, my brother or my sister, but this I know, that there is power in my divine Lord and Master to redeem you from that fault. He can destroy evil and create good. Behold, he makes all things new. Ah, now, if I were addressing myself to a number of persons that were blind or deaf or sick, and I told them that Christ was here to heal them of their bodily infirmities, what a rush there would be! Set Jesus up in Trafalgar Square to be touched by all manner of sick folks, and I warrant you, the crowd would press one another to death in their eagerness to get at Him. But surely spiritual sicknesses are worse. It is worse to have a blind spiritual eye than a blind bodily eye. But men do not think so and consequently they are not anxious for spiritual health. I may praise up my Master, as I willingly would, even to the skies, and yet men will care nothing for him, for they would just as soon be morally and spiritually sick as not, and some of them are even proud of their sicknesses. Well, what shall become of you? In that day, when God shuts out the spiritually sick folks, the diseased, the disturbed, the putrid, the corrupt, when he cast them into Topheth, because they cannot be permitted to stand among his saints in his holy house in heaven, whose fault shall it be that you were not healed? Who shall bear the blame that you died in your sins? Not the Lord Jesus Christ, but yourselves, because you chose your own delusions, and would have none of him. Thus have I feebly tried to set him forth, and oh, how I wish that you desired him and longed for him, for he is here, and a touch of him will save you. Poor souls, must he pass you by! And now, secondly, I want to say a little, by God's help, about the remarkable touch of this woman. Such a touch as hers may be given to Jesus at this good hour. We cannot by our finger literally touch his garments, but there is a spiritual touch that can still be given to Christ, Which will draw virtue out of him, so that all our spiritual diseases shall immediately be healed. This contact is not always described in Scripture as a touch. Sometimes it is represented as hearing, incline your ear and come to me, listen that you may live. There is a link between you and me today in the fact that I speak and you hear. Well, a spiritual connection, Of which this is the analogy if it be set up between Christ and you will cure you of your sin. Sometimes this contact is described as being formed by a look. This is the favorite symbol, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. It is apparently a very meager connection, which is set up by a glance, and yet if you have such a contact between you and Christ as the eye made between the dying Israelite and the brazen serpent, it will save you. Here, in this narrative, the contact is symbolized by a touch. The patient by her touch was linked with Jesus and felt in her body that she was healed of her plague. Now, don't you wish to touch Jesus and be made whole, that is, holy? If you do, remember that the touch must be a voluntary one. If any of you were brought into a supposed connection with Christ when you were children, without consciousness of what was done, I charge you, do not put any confidence in the ceremony. Religion performed for you when you were unconscious and gave no consent to it cannot possibly save you. Whatever there might be in it, there is nothing saving in it. You must come into a voluntary union with Jesus, if you would be made whole. It must be an intentional contact. Some were pressed against the Savior as they pushed against each other, and as the crowd surged to and fro. But this woman was not driven against Christ without her consent. Oh no! She was eager to get at Him. She pushed, she strove, and at last she reached the fringe of His garments, and a contact was established intentionally by her finger. She wished to be made whole, and she touched Christ with that view. You too must come to Jesus with the view of being delivered from the guilt, penalty, and power of sin, and you must get into contact with Christ with the intent that He should be your Savior. I entreat you to see to this, and may the Holy Spirit lead you to do it at once. Oh, say you, but I do not know how to get into contact with the Savior. The best way, the only way, is by believing in Him. If you today say in your heart, I trust Christ to save me, there is immediately a contact between you and Christ of the right kind. You are the trusting one, and he is the person trusted in. There is a point of union between you and Christ, and this will save you, for there never was one yet that did wholly trust the blood and righteousness of Jesus without finding himself fully justified in so trusting. The rule of the kingdom is, it shall be done to you according to your faith. If your faith be only as a grain of mustard seed, if it is genuine faith, it shall work in you the cure of your soul's disease, and you shall live unto righteousness. The point of contact is a main consideration, and I pray you look to it. Do you not see that when the woman's finger touched Christ's garment there was established at once a connection between the two? Along which the divine virtue flashed? I won't illustrate this by electricity, for such an illustration will suggest itself to you all, but the fact is that faith sets up a contact between the sinner and Christ, and through this the healing virtue comes to us. Faith on our part is an act of reception. We agree to receive Christ as what God has made him to be, a propitiation for sin. We accept him as our Saviour teacher, leader, ruler, and in all these senses he is ours. Whatever God the Father says that Jesus is, we agree that he is that, and we take him to ourselves to be all that to us. Especially since he has come to save his people, we accept him as our Savior. I have sometimes quoted to you the words of Luther, who often put a truth so broadly that he overshadowed other truths, and uttered language which would not bear to be closely looked into, though most fit to set forth his immediate meaning. Luther says, I will have nothing to do with saving myself. Jesus Christ is a Savior. I leave my soul wholly in his hands. That puts it very broadly, but it is what I mean within a little. That is to say, you must just go and say, I cannot deliver myself from the power of sin, but I know that Jesus can deliver me, and I put myself into His hands that He may do it. When faith thus unites us to Jesus, the healing virtue will flow from Him to us. Oh, well, says one, I have often heard you preach about being saved from sinning by Christ, but I do not feel that I can do anything. Just so, That is why I want you to get Christ to work in you and for you. Oh, but I am nobody! That is the very sort of person I delight to discover, that Jesus Christ may make you into somebody, and say, Somebody has touched me. A nobody is made into somebody when he once touches Jesus Christ. Oh, but I am! There will be no end to these objections, and therefore let me say plainly, never mind what you are. The question is, what is the Lord Jesus Christ? If He is able to save you, then trust Him, rely upon Him, rest your soul with Him. Did I hear someone reply, I do not see how that will make me better? My speedy answer is that faith, simple as it seems, is the one thing which, by God's grace, shall make you a new man. Here is the philosophy of it. If you trust Jesus, you will love Him. If you love Him, you will serve Him. Believing that Jesus has saved you, gratitude springs up in your heart and becomes the motive power by which a new life is begun and continued. I pray you try it. I do remember years ago when I tried the power of faith in Jesus. It was a poor, feeble, trembling touch that I gave to Christ, but by it, from sadness and despair, I rose to gladness and hope. I had something to live for and I had the expectation of being able to accomplish it, too, when I had touched him. And at this hour, when I am sick, and sad, and sorry, and sinful, I go to him, and I am blessed. If I want washing, he must wash me. If I want clothing, he must clothe me. If I want strength, he must invigorate me. He is all in all to my soul and so I do but tell you what I know myself, and persuade you by my own experience to trust Him. Lastly, the poor woman, having touched the hem of Christ's garment and being made whole, was about to slink away when the Master asked the remarkable question which brought her to the front, so that she was obliged to confess what Christ had done for her. I wish to God that all of you who have felt the power of Christ Would bear testimony to the fact. As a rule, those who have been converted in this place have not been backward to confess Christ, but still, some among you who love my Lord have never yet affirmed your attachment to him. You are on Christ's side, but you don't wear his uniform and acknowledge his cause. You don't confess him, though he has promised that those who do so he will confess at the last day. We are all too fond of ease and so it happens in this world of ours that much of the force of goodness remains unused because men are inactive and reserved. Who covets the front of the battle? Only a bold, brave man whose heart God has touched. He comes to the front, and remains the object of opposition when caution might dictate that he should shelter himself from the conflict. Oh, my dear friend, if you love Jesus Christ my Master, I ask you never to be ashamed to be on his side, and on the side of the right and the true, the just and the kind. Take your place like a man, and declare yourself a soldier of the cross. Too many are like the timid woman of our text. They receive benefits from Jesus, and then try to lose themselves in the crowd. I will tell you a little about that. The touch that brings virtue out of Christ is one that cannot be perceived by our fellow men. That young man over yonder touched Christ today, but he who sits close to him is not aware of it. The saving act is done in secret, and sometimes it is almost a secret to the person himself. He hardly dares to think that he has been so bold. This poor woman shrank into herself. She knew that she was cured, but she was afraid to think of what she had done to get the cure. I have known many poor souls who have come to believe in Christ and yet feel as if it was presumption to do so. It appears to a truly humbled conscience to be so great a mercy to be forgiven that it feels hardly justified in daring to think that Jesus could have put away its sin. Listen to me, you who are trembling. Let not your fears rob your Lord of his honour. You must confess your faith. For Jesus loves that those whom He heals should acknowledge it. That is why He turned around and said, Who touched my garments? He delights in that tender declaration, wet with many tears. If you have done good to one of your neighbors, you think it hard if no word of thanks is spoken. I have known benevolence almost shriveled up for lack of gratitude. My Master is not of such a temper, But still he welcomes words of humble acknowledgment. He loves to hear the bleating of the sheep which his shoulders have brought back to the fold. He loves that much, love which comes of having much forgiven. Do not then hold your tongue. If Jesus has indeed healed you, tell him of it, and tell his people of it to his praise. Such grace ought to be known. Is there anything to be ashamed of? For my part I glory in being saved by Christ if he that is a Christian is a fool, write me down among the fools. Say you not so, poor working brother? When you go into the workshop, and they say, These Christian people are a set of hypocritical Presbyterians, will you not answer? Then put me down among them. If your lord and master did not grudge to stand in the courtyard for you till they did spit in his face, what a coward you must be! If you ever draw back from professing your faith in him out of a fear of ridicule. If he acknowledged your cause even unto death, never blush to be regarded as his follower. Let every cowardly thought be banished from your spirit. If Jesus saved you from going down into the pit and made you a new creature, never be ashamed in any company to say, Christ has made me whole, and henceforth I am his. From that day the healed woman and Jesus had instituted a friendship that never ended. They had conversed together, and their lives were openly linked together. Would you not wish the same thing to happen to you? To this woman Christ said, Go in peace! What a blessing she gained by being fetched out of her hiding place! For had she gone away without an open confession, she might often have been disturbed in mind by the fear that a stolen cure would not be permanent. The Master said, Go in peace, and a profound calm fell upon her spirit, as when the seabirds sit on the waves and all the winds have fallen into a deep sleep. She was a happy woman from that day on, for Jesus had said, Go in peace, and what could trouble her any more? Now it may be that some of you who love Christ will go to heaven safely enough, but you will miss a vast amount of comfort on the road because you have never openly confessed that you belong to Christ. Perhaps certain ones of you will never get peace till you declare your discipleship and link your whole life with Jesus. When you do that and take up his cross with all its shame and are known to be a Christian in every society into which you enter, then shall your peace be like a river. I am almost done, only I would put to the whole congregation the question, Who has touched Christ today? Oh, that some would answer in their hearts, I have touched Him today by faith! Why should you not all trust the appointed Savior? Do you tell me that you do not understand what faith is? It is trusting, trusting wholly upon the person, work, merit, and power of the Son of God. Some think this trusting to be a strange business, but indeed it is the simplest thing that can possibly be. To some of us, truths which were once hard to believe are now matters of fact which we should find it hard to doubt. If one of our grandfathers were to rise from the dead and come into the present state of things, what a deal of trusting he would have to do! He would say tomorrow morning, Where are the flint and steel? I want a light! and we should give him a little box with tiny pieces of wood in it, and tell him to strike one of them on the box. He would have to trust a good deal before he would believe that fire would thus be produced. We should next say to him, Now that you have a light, turn that tap and light the gas. He sees nothing, but is annoyed with an offensive smell. How can he believe that light will come from that invisible vapor? And yet it does. Now come with us, grandfather. Sit in that chair. Look at that box in front of you. You shall see your likeness directly. No, child, he would say. That's ridiculous. The son, take my portrait. I can't believe it. Yes, and you shall ride fifty miles in an hour without horses. I don't believe it, says he. What's more, you shall speak to your son in New York, and he shall answer you in a few minutes. Would we not astonish the old gentleman? Would he not need all his faith to believe this? and yet these things are believed by us without effort, because experience has made us familiar with them. Faith is greatly needed by you who are strangers to spiritual things. You seem lost while we are talking about them, and our very words puzzle you, but oh, how simple it is to us who have the new life and have communion with spiritual realities! We have a Father to whom we speak, and He hears us and a blessed Savior who hears our hearts' longings and helps us in our struggles against sin. It is all plain to him who understands. May the Spirit of God bring every one of you to understand it! What a joy it would be if we all touched the Savior, would all be healed of sin, and all be admitted to stand at his right hand forever! Then whoever we may be, and however much we may differ in rank and talent, we shall all heartily join to sing the new song. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.